of Like Dragon Like Sun. My name is Jay Oway. And my name is Jack Oway. And this is a father-son podcast talking about Dungeons & Dragons. That's right, the world's greatest role-playing game. And today, what do we have to talk about? Today we are talking about the new Spelljammer stuff. That's right. If you're not aware, recently uh, Wizards of the Coast um, released a new kind of three-part book that includes some rule books for players, options for players, some stuff for the DM, and an adventure all in this Spelljammer setting. But what is the Spelljammer so setting? So it's a space fantasy, uh, sort of piratey high adventure. But not science fiction? Uh, well, no, not science fiction. It's uh, it's space fantasy, which right. is a little bit different. So, yeah, you bring in whatever sort of sci-fi tropes you want, but then you sort of D&D fantasy-size them and mm. uh, blend these sort of tropes together uh we haven't actually seen anything in this space uh for a while yeah, about 30 <laughs> years since uh we've gone to space with dnd &D. Mm. and things have changed uh update to the rules they've simplified a lot of the thing that used to be like big crystal spheres and flotsams and jetsams and ways to fly around and things have just gotten a lot easier um, there's astral seas and there's wild space and there's planets and things in the middle of all of that and um, and adventures shall ensue uh, yeah I mean speaking of adventures there is an adventure book and not only that but you're kind of planning an adventure that's not exactly like Spelljammer but definitely pulls a lot of inspiration from it at least I feel sure um, you can hear our familiar getting very excited about the cats. Idea. Very excited about the fact that we're back and doing D and D podcasting. Um, yeah. So look, there's some criticism, and and you've had made this comment to me the other day, and it's it's true. The Spelljammer books, as they've come out, are a little bit thin, actually. And yeah, they they total about 180 pages worth of content but that for a setting space is isn't huge right um what did you say eberron was when it came out i believe eberron i, I could be like wrong about this 300 it was like something. 200 to 300 somewhere yeah, in there 320 or something um and that's not even including that first little wayfinders guide i believe that was just rising from the last war which was um which is a pretty big release yeah so and if you add wayfinders to that as well then there's you know there's a lot of of rules and setting and and classes and races no that's not to say the spelljammer hasn't come with new races it has it hasn't really come with any new classes though whatever who cares yeah i, I mean you there's only one time fifth edition's ever released a new class i'm not expecting that i'm not even expecting you know subclasses i mean well, but not, for... not new classes i mean but i mean that's what i mean new subclass options there isn't really subclasses coming out Sure. Uh, very but, much. But even if there wasn't, in, I feel Spelljammer. That's there's more than just that that's missing from the books, right? I mean, we purchase these things such as Spelljammer's Adventure in Space and the Menage and the whole thing, and it's sort of packaged as this. It's more than just the subclasses, right? DMs get little monsters and rules for well, running. Like I said, there is no space exploration. It's more than just the races. It's it's a little bit of an adventure package. No, but it's, and a but that's package. the idea. But in the monster package as well, and an adventure included, and telling you how to do all the rules and. 
of being in space. But I think even for that regard, it kind of felt a little underwhelming in terms of the, the hooks it gives you for characters in the world, for places in the world. I mean, you get the Rock of Brawl, and I haven't read extensively into it. And the Rock of Brawl is an old idea that they brought mm -hmm. forward again and modified, and it's good to see the the culture and the history being preserved but i'm sure there's an adventure that takes you places you can go and but in terms of creating another campaign in the setting it doesn't actually really give you a lot to work with which is what a lot of people really look for in source books like this and it, and it is categorized as a source book like it is beyond like for an adventure like wild beyond the witch light one doesn't expect some subclasses or or magic items or things but i feel even some adventures like curse of strahd or wild beyond the Witchlight give you more than this entire source book gives you um it is lacking for the fact that it is split between three books the fact it's 180 it's not big at all yeah i mean it's it's well, very the interesting small. thing that both Witchlight and uh particularly raven um ben richten's guide to ravenloft uh gave us was this sort of way to hey how do you build a dread lord or how do you make a in arch fey what is how do you make one of their realms how do you make you know and there's tables and you could roll from it and if you look at some of our past episodes we sat down and did this we even did it with fizz bands you know with the dragon thing and you make the lair and all of these things mm -hmm. it came with essentially a a fun fast easy way to sort of help you know get you going on building uh you know a central idea for an adventurer or even something that you build out into a bigger campaign um, this definitely lacks that sort of engine, that sort of, okay, this is how you, this is how you get, you know, build a cool ship. This is how you, um, you know, build a, you know, a cool space, you know, just a system of some sort, you know, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have those sort of mechanics in there and, and within those even like, you know, mm -hmm. how to. How did like the ship to ship combat is very well. Thin. This is why people would like buy a, a book, right? This is why you people you'd buy the book because you want some rules telling you like officially, you know, regulated, play tested, whatever. You want it published if you know it's coming out so that you can follow those rules, right? Yeah. I mean, and this doesn't really give you much in the way of that. I mean, all it really says for ship to ship combat is here's a little ballista which is basically the same as it once was, you know, in whatever DMG yeah. that takes a couple actions to load and fire, and here's the damage it does, and here's the range. And and also, if you want to get close, then you got to drive right next to it. And that's it, pretty much. I mean, there's not a whole lot of fun things swinging from ship to ship or messing with interactive gravity fields. It's kind of just a classic two-bag-of-holding situation. Oh, and it's not really like that. But the idea of just the simplest way out, right? Yeah. I could imagine so many interesting scenarios it sets up using that or using fresh air or breathing air. And it sets these up, but it doesn't really feel like it really does much with these components. And it's really something I could have... I could have come up with something better myself, right? And at the point where we're, people are spending and shilling out how, I mean, as much money as you would spend on an Eberron on something like this, I think Spelljammer is a little underwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I hope and DD it, releases don't kind of continue this way where they kind of feel, maybe this is just a sort of a one-off, but I can kind of sense from the one D&D &D and the merger that maybe there's a chance, and I don't want to, whatever you know poop with things for yeah, no reason jinx things but before they're even out of the i mean it's but one it thing it to be feels critical like of stuff that's happened already no, but it feels but, like but there's a trend though that they're they're pushing towards more moving more products and i'm all for more dnd stuff and things like that well, but at the end of the day if we're just going to be you know putting things out there for the you know to sell another book that's you know well, especially when we're opening not, up cheap, new honest, new cheap, worlds right? like new world space like spelljammer does it you know meanwhile wouldn't 
wouldn't some more depth in some place like Eberron be also warranted? Wouldn't some more depth? Well, in there some can of always the other be settings? more depth and whatever, and that's why there's third party things. But for an official, this is the first time we've had a look at Spellstamp, Spellstamp, yeah. all these times, and this is it. Like this, yeah, is it. it should be. It should be a few hundred more pages, really. It feels like there's um, so much they can talk the about. Ship, the ship combat thing as well. Like, look, there's a, there's a solution to all of this. But it, it's again, it's not the right solution. It's an okay one for somebody like myself, who is a confident DM, who does have access to DM's Guild and can pick and choose some good supplements so I don't have to write everything myself. And even then, I still take only parts and pieces and I put together my own ship-to-ship combat rules and I'm going to come up with all these own, my own things and basically give my players a new player's handbook for this setting. Um, <clears throat> that's a lot of work. Uh, I'm okay doing that work, but a lot of people, a lot of DMs are be like, oh man, that's too much trouble. Or it's like... I don't have the time to make my own thing, and so I'm going to purchase this book. Right? I mean, people don't want to have to always make their own rules. This is why we get yeah. new rules. Well, and it's nice when you can go from one table saying, oh, yeah, I've played Spelljammer before, and show up at another Spelljammer table and not have the, oh, my God, the rules are completely different here. The one thing about having standardized rules is that it does make it easier for everybody to play mm-hmm. the game. And it's not like a – because, of course, you can make your own rules. Anyone can make your – you can make your own rule before the book came out. But I think the point is yeah. is that if people are going to spend one to two hundred – I mean, that's just from our, our currency perspective. I don't know. Because the books, they're not – again, they're not paperback. They're hardback covers. They come with special in edition sets. And yeah. you can get the base, just digital version. But it's still not – you know, it's not – inexpensive for people who are doing this as a hobby to get all of these books right right and in terms of the value that Spelljammer offers and we're not getting into it we'll get into the content and the fun stuff in a second and tell you maybe what you can do to spice up your games and your Look, thing but just from a, a meta yeah. perspective first it's like is it really worth it like is the Spelljammer book that they released really worth it for people who okay are interested in Spelljammer but aren't really sure sure if it, I if think it meets if, the expectations yeah look there's there's definitely this there's never been a harder line drawn in the sand to people who either are going to play Spelljammer who are really not. A lot of the things that come out, like Witchlight or whatever, you're like, oh, it's a Fae destination. All right, well, I'm not going to play it right now, but hey, you know, the Fae Wild, who knows? It could come up anytime, right? We'll go there maybe at some point. Yes or no, Well, it's an adventure whenever. book too, so exactly. you buy it if you want to have the adventure, And so right? those things are there, or, you know, some of those, the things we've come up with, like fist bands, you're like, oh, dragons. Yeah, sure. At some point, we'll do dragons. Nobody's like a hard no on dragons. Well, again, but, but there will be people who are hard, hard no. no. But then you're like, okay, well, then whatever, right? But like the same, the spell jammer feels a bit like Eberron to me, and we put that comparison up for Yeah, it's a, reason, a good comparison, right? actually. It's because it's, it's a setting book. It's a right. setting guide. Just like, like Theros guide to Wild Mount, a bit like Theros. And those books, even if you look at Theros, that gives you like a whole there's pantheon neat, with and a piety system. Yeah, very and different stuff going on over there. Seder for the first time, and and it, I believe, it even has subclasses it offers. I'm not saying that that's what makes a book good, right? But it gives you so much compendium content and Absolutely. things that you can run with gods and systems and worlds that are interconnected, and you can even lift the rules for creating a pantheon into your own world, which which yeah. makes it such a substantial book, even if you don't like the Greek inspired thorough setting right yeah Spelljammer, it gives you some like outlines for ships but they're very brief and I, there was even some things that i'm like is this even addressed i was skimming through the digital copy and i was like even command effing just like looking for specific turns because there's like damage absorption or negation and i didn't see anything on that i'm like well where how is this organized and where is this put and is this really well interesting like thresh like, threshold damage oh that's that's what it yeah. is right so but threshold like, damage does doesn't have even have a paragraph within 
this book. It doesn't even tell. I'm like, you what? actually have to go and the you actually go and find it in the DM's guide. But I mean, that's a really weird sort of place not to put it right next to the ships, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like an obvious thing to do. Like, if you're gonna have everything really on the ships, and it's one of the first things you see in the stat block to have it not even like named or listed there is. To me, it feels weird, you know, and that's just one small example of something that feels like it needs to be much more substantial. Is how it, I should have a guide on how I can create my own ships, right, yeah. or ships for the, my monsters. Yeah. Or I, I, honestly, I feel I feel sometimes like there's so much going on over at D and D that those guys are were like literally rushing this stuff out the door. It's good. It's clean. It's bare minimum. But that's just it. It's bare minimum. It does feel like it's a skeletal system for something that could have a lot more meat on it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when this is almost it, like, I almost feel like if you don't put this stuff out, you need to then follow up with some more add-ons for it. Like the Spelljammer's, you know, ship guide. And it's a whole book on ships, which would be amazing. I'd buy yeah, but it. It's not um, worth it, though. But, like, why not put that in the main thing? Who's going to shell money for this and then also me, for that additional book? I do book? that. I you would will, do that. But it's not, it's not fair of, to the consumers of D&D. That well, are just, those, who are, those who are into their various spaces, buy the ones they want. You don't have to buy every one of them. No, but you don't like, have to buy Theros if, if you're not playing Theros. But imagine Eberron was broken into, here's the setting guide, and here's the subclasses, and here's the thing. Sure. You know what I mean? It feels like it's becoming less about creating a good product and more about selling as much of the product on little pieces as possible. No, it's not though, but this is the problem. It's because it's changing though. Second edition was all about selling books. Oh my God. Every every damn class had its own book. There was so much great stuff about fifth edition. And the thing is that it was so accessible with originally those three books. And these are all optional things, but if we're going to have it be this way where books are released with the bare minimum and then, Oh yeah, pay an additional couple hundred HK, you know, whatever for the extra rules that just should have been in the first book to begin with. I'm like, okay, like what's going on, right? The, the quality that we're, we're used to feels like it's being turned into this way to squeeze as much money as possible. And that's not the game I want to support. That's not the you know game I want to play, right? I'm, I'm just, and this is the, you know, the part of the episode where we complain and are bitter about it. But we the rules are actually we often don't do in our podcast. No, if not. you're just tuning in for the first, first time, time, you might like, be like, oh, these, these guys are salty. This is the D&D community is so toxic, man. It's like, okay, um, but we, we care. This is passionate. We, we care about this, yeah. right? And, well, and, and I guess, I mean, and I mean, the, the thing is that also because we're such pro big fans of it, these comments that we're making on this, we're not being overly harsh on Spelljammer. We're being fair and saying that it's it's a little bit thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, you know, it's a very funny little line to toe because there's always a part of me that said, hey, you know, do whatever you want. Make D&D your own. And I'm cool with that. So for me, I was, like I said, I, you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I started writing my campaign setting, which I'm calling Nebula of Madness, before the this, the books dropped, mm-hmm. um, knowing that the books would help, hopefully bring an official set of rules to space, and they have given me a fair bit of official rules. Like I said, there's a few spots where I kind of would have liked a couple more paragraphs of rules, but okay, that's fine. I'll write my own for those spots, um, and and I'm reasonably happy actually with with what's come out. Um, and become, you know, official content. I have, of course, though, that does mean I've had to add a bit of my own stuff to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to, you know, for me, I added about a dozen different subclasses or so to it because there wasn't any 
setting specific subclasses. And and a lot of these, you know, I picked from other places or put together, you know, combined. These are things that have been, you know, often written by others. And then I've just adapted to work on my space, my setting a little bit, just changing a few words here or there. Um, but it's like, that's a lot of work. And I'm having to build all of those out, the digital tools for those in Homebrew inside D&D Beyond. Would have been great to get a bunch of new subclasses that I didn't have to do all that extra work for. But okay, hey, thanks. No worries. I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, it's been fun for me. I'm, I'm a big horror guy. I used to, I run a lot of Curse of Strahd and for me doing Spelljammer is really a great opportunity to not just do, you know, the Gothic horror stuff, but now cosmic horror as well and really get into my cthulhu type things and lots of tentacles. And, um, I'm super excited about it really. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, again, I'm someone of the opinion that, yeah, make your own stuff all the time. Don't just use modules. I mean, open communication, making a game that's just yeah. right for you is what everyone needs to do. But people get these books because they don't want to, they don't have the time or want to have, do all this thinking and rank, right. you know, rule and designing. Like, I mean, you, you take it to a whole nother level of how much stuff you build. But. Yeah, it's because I'm experienced with the game and I know I have time to dedicate to it. And that, um, But again, it's like, you, you read through, I mean, at least the actual ventures guide, and, I mean, the races are cool, but even in a system where we're releasing so much more Unearthed Arcana, I mean, in the past, a, a new book would drop and everyone would be surprised and delighted, but now it's more people are surprised at the UA, and then the actual final thing releases, and then usually people, I mean, the excitement's kind of gone, right? Because they've already seen everything that's coming out. There's usually, like, the new stuff is just the compendium stuff. And I think for that reason, that's maybe why Spelljammer felt a little underwhelming. I mean, really, it introduces, what, two new backgrounds, which is about as much as, you know, uh, a Feywild, what was it, what was uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight yeah. introduced. It gives you six new races, but many of them won't fit in most games that aren't Spelljammer, exactly. right? I mean, the Astral Elf could be a fun idea. Maybe Autonome, again, Eberron, I think it could be a fun thing for sure. I mean, in that world, I could see dropping it. Even the Gith, uh, right? But then the Hadozi and the Plasmoid and the Three Queen, especially. I could see some DMs being really resistant to let any of this official content be used in their setting. And it, this, it, it proclaims this. It, it's Yeah, it says this in the book. It acknowledges that they're... You know, not that, and this book is only for Spelljammer adventures, right? Yeah. But even for people who want to, you know, put, picked up in the line, you know, drop in Spelljammer into your existing world, because I think there's a potential for that, right? To turn any campaign into a Spelljammer campaign eventually, well, right? I mean, and this is, I mean, this, hints it's kind it. of the in interconnecting campaign setting for all the other campaign settings. The idea mm -hmm. that every world that's out there in the multiverse um, be it the Forgotten Realms or be it Dragonlance or be it Eberron, um, all of those are just worlds, uh, systems floating out there in the astral sea somewhere. And that, yeah, some sort of, you know, spacefaring races can travel between those worlds. Um, and I suppose that for those who on those worlds, it would feel a little bit like aliens coming to visit. Um, it feels a little bit like in um, sort of like in the Marvel movies, like the first time that, you know, super, you know, villains start visiting Earth and you're like, what? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, but I think that's it. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't if I was playing an Eberron campaign, just suddenly have a spe spell jamming ship fly in. I think that is weird. 
Well, but, look, I get that you see it's a high-level thing or something you set up. I almost wonder if Critical Role is going to go in that direction with the whole moon stuff that's going on there. I think that could be fun. But maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me getting too excited. They did they did yeah. ask the other day, like, I wonder how you get to the moon. Hmm. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah. Spell jamming ship? Perhaps. Um, yeah. I mean, so in my setting, I, I'm definitely steering players to want to lean into doing something either from the new races astral elves autonomes hardozi gifts plasmoids three green or gith yankee uh gifts zarai um i'm also trying to get lean into a few others that are a little bit more sort of dreamy space type ones um including a couple of ones i've picked up from uh other places uh, mm. but include you know Kalish star um and or have ones where we want to do sort of thing of corporate experiment type uh, if you want to feel like you've just escaped from a lab of some sort, uh, the simic hybrids and changelings might be the results of some sort of strange experiments. Um, and as well as trying to add in a few uh, different astral lineages for humans to sort of give them a little bit more uh, variance in this space as well. And all in told, you know, that's probably works out to 14 plus different races to choose from. And of course, still open to if I have a player who says, hey, I have a crazy idea for a Wookiee bugbear or some sort of down on his luck dwarf who's, you know, asteroid and has run dry or something like that. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, whatever. We can, you know, I put almost anything in this space. Uh, I've had the, if it had the right sort of spacey vibe to it. Um, and I think that's just the important thing is when you are setting up uh, spell jammer that you, that you, uh, you know, decide to very much like declare the the sort of the the vibe, the feeling, and how alien it's going to be, and it's going to feel very alien to a lot of your other D and D campaign settings, and that's fun. That's for me, I love that. I like. I think space fantasy, you know, astral pirate piracy stuff is crazy. It's like hilariously good fun. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean meets Aliens. Mm, one thing to me with Spelljammer, I think looking because I, I, I like the idea a lot, but something that felt missing is that some, let's say Eberron, for example, in the first thing, it doesn't tell you just about the new races. It tells you about each of the races in this setting, right? Like it tells you what you know Dragonborn are like in the setting, or what their whole deal is, and yeah. what the dwarves are like in the setting. And that was something to me that felt like was a little bit ignored, maybe. Like it feels like they just sort of talk about the new races, but. What do, where do humans come from? What do dwarves do? Do they just all exist as this kind of diaspora across the universe? Yeah. Or Yeah, we get astral elves, but that's it. Like, everything else is just like, meh, whatever. I mean, it, it's whatever is one word for it, but it's like, it feels like they could just, even like, in if you look at everyone, like little paragraphs, like the gnomes, for instance, I mean, they have their own, you know, place that they're from, and they have their own sort of system of what are dragon marks and forget yeah, dragon yeah. marks even for this well, and, comparison. And but just, I mean, yeah, you've got halflings you know, who like, are riding dinosaurs and you've got all this stuff happening in Eberron, which is like detailed and explained. Um, they have like schemes and quests that your character might be on based on their faction in the world. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting, cool concept and idea to follow and like pick up on if you're trying to immerse yourself in the world. But even then they go to things like, the, the, the gazetteers just fun thing they do gazetteer on them um that they have in eberron which is like this little newsletter but it tells you about all the big locations right yeah and i think about the astral venturing guide and it kind of has the rock of brawl and it doesn't really have anywhere else yeah it doesn't there's no 
gazetted sort of locations, right? The Rock of Brawl is, is, you know, gives you a history of it, gives you, yeah. you know, keeping order, gives you the, you know, under barons and the high city and the middle city and the low city and the historic enclaves and the underside. So this is a huge look at the Rock of Brawl, but that's kind of it, just the Rock mm-hmm. of Brawl, right? Because it's what's important to the adventure that's included, where even if it's not too in-depth, what I like about things like Eberron, for example, is how it gives, you know, Ondere, Breland, Breland Sire, you know, Dargoon, the Demon Wastes, Eldine Reaches, Karnath. But even if you don't know what these all things mean, and I don't know either, it gives you a sense that there are many places. There's more than just, you know, the the whatever Spire City or the main one that's like the, the general central location in Eberron that people imagine, right? That there is so many different places that you can go to. What makes the world of Spelljammer feel kind of empty is, one, how vastly empty you imagine space is. Yeah. And that they don't populate it with, like, planets, at least, or systems or something that you can go into. Like, there's a meteor with a city on it, and that's kind of it. You know, it feels like, and maybe you have to put your own locations or just follow the ones that they have in the campaign they give you. And, I don't know, maybe it's just me as a storyteller, but I'd like other But if you look at, so if you look at Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, right, the first bit that came out. um, This wasn't a full, like, this was not marked it the same way that Ebron Rising of the Last War is or even how, you know, Spelljammer was. But I'm almost sure I feel like Spelljammer feels to me a little bit more like Wayfinders does, where it's kind of just like a very light introduction. Um when you look at Wayfinders, it talks about Sharn City of Towers, but that's it. Like it doesn't really give you Mm -hmm. I mean, sure it lists off some of the other places, you know, that are around. Welcome to Corvair and some of the stuff that's around. Um but only Corvair and uh well yeah focuses on the continent but even the big book gives you distant lands distant other lands as well and a whole paragraph on the city of towers the same way that you know eberron gives you a whole little chapter on the rock of brawl you know but and but not only that but like Eberron gives you a whole chapter on building adventures in eberron right well it doesn't feel like there's anything on building adventures in spelljammer but i think yeah so here's what my solution to that is though so i'm i am pulling stuff from all these other books that we have. I mean, this is D&D. It's very modular. You can pick and choose and put stuff. And no place says put everything together in whatever way you want, like Spelljammer says. It is such a mix of things. Because all those those worlds exist in this multiverse for these characters. All of these things can have been brought together by, you know, intrepid travelers across the Astral Sea. So if you want to bring some mage rites in from Eberron, yeah, go for it. Or if you want to bring systems in from Eberron or piety systems from Theros or um, what was the one you were saying from Eberron earlier about the one about uh, quests or something? That's not, What was that one about? That sounds like something I wouldn't mind adding in. Quests? You were saying in Eberron there was some sort of... Oh, yeah. Well, in terms of all the the, ra- like the races, they give you things, you know, in, in the lore, what the gnomes are and where they're from. And it gives you a little table of things you could run that could be little schemes that your faction has going right, on. Right, yeah, that you're... schemes for factions. There's a great idea. I'm going to steal that and take that to my Spelljammer as well. I'm doing stuff from Fitzbands where I'm taking some of the new dragon types that are in Spelljammer, but using the Fitzbands stuff to sort of create their backstories of who they are and what they're going on, like making the dragons a little bit more, giving them a lot more depth uh, to them. Um, I'm taking all sorts of stuff, uh, little mini adventures from various places and, 
spacifying them. Uh, lots of things being lifted. I'm, I've made a, a Dreadlord um, using Van Richten's guide, who's made part of the Nebula of Madness, um, part of its lore of where it's come from. So the, my, my whole campaign setting is coming together, but I'm I'm drawing from everywhere. And and yeah, part of the reason I'm drawing from everywhere is because Belljammer's a bit thin to draw from on itself, but but I don't know, maybe that in some ways is the point. Maybe the the joy of Spelljammer, at least it is for me, the joy of Spelljammer, is, is bringing all of these other cool systems from other books, things I haven't looked at for a while, pulling them all out, dusting them off, and Spelljammerifying them. And so they all click together. You know what's interesting about that? That almost sort of says then that you can do Spelljammer without even needing the book, really. I mean, that piecing all those things together is ultimately better than whatever they give you in this, right? I mean, it's so, like, I, I would There's honestly... There's so many good things been developed exactly, in Exactly, right? So if, if you're interested they, in Spelljammer, but you're not... one place, I mean, unfortunately. Yeah, really, I mean, not to, but I'm, I'm, like, the best, like, the thing you'd really get that's unique from Spelljammer... There's, I'll give them, there's there's a good selection of new monsters um, that are of all kinds, you know, yeah. space versions of certain animals and two new cool dragon types and all sorts of races turned into little stat blocks that you can use like plasmoids and get Yankee and gif and astral elves and all those things are fun, you know, good cosmic horrors and big monsters and stat blocks that your, your parties can tear into. Um, lots of fun things like scavers, um, and, which I like a lot. Um, and and sirlons are, are fun as well um vampirates uh those are cool J- just to like list a couple things right and things like space swine and sirons and neogi and things that we've kind of heard a little bit about but wanted to know more about that, that are kind of a little alien and they're all they're all fun and well written and they've got good like little descriptions to them um i like them and, and that's a, a great part of Spelljammer that i think makes it worth it is those monsters and bc if you want some more alien type creatures um to throw into your game i really would recommend belljammer in that case right but if you're just looking to do an adventure in space and you've got all the monsters you need and all the stuff you need i would look at just pulling things from the existing books because really the most of the stuff you'll find there is what you'll need to run this adventure um the only thing that, I, that is like really useful and i think necessary that this book introduces is some of the ships yeah um but again you could probably make your own system, and it would take or effort. Or you just borrow from Eberron. Or bo- bo- borrow from Eberron. I mean, or the Infernal Machine Rebuild. Yeah. I mean, you look at uh, Avernus as well, right? Yeah. And I'm um, actually taking things from both those places as well. Um, strange, A strange ship that is from Eberron that's out there in space that's stopped working, that's floating astray, that they come across, which is, uh, you know, becomes a whole adventure setting. Hmm. Um and, you know, there's all sorts of ways I've tied that and connected that back to, um, you know, lifting ideas from all sorts of Spelljammer modules from 30 years ago, um, rebuilding some of those, taking some of the stuff that Chris Perkins has written into this one, which is sort of like a series of interconnected adventures, each with a sort of a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end that sort of launches you into another sort of adventure. Um, I'm trying to make mine a little bit more sandboxy, a little bit more episodic sort of thing so that each adventures uh, sort of stands on its own. Although you might find things there that, you know, do help or trigger something else somewhere else, but not, you know, not necessarily you have to be there to get it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And just trying to make it more fun for players who, 
uh, you know, every week come to the table for sort of a new adventure. Yeah, and that's the fun thing with Spelljammers as setting as well, is that it really lets you explore the oldest tropes in the newest kind of way. Yeah. Um, which is why it, it lends itself so well to kind of being a bit more of a comedic campaign, and I think that's why they've marketed it that way. But also to be a horror or spooky campaign. I know, when it well, and, to and be, I think right? it's it, it comes naturally as kind of fun and funny sort of space, which I think is then why when you suddenly put aberrations and cosmic horrors and all sorts of scary things that go, you know, j jump out of the shadows. Um, I think it's a tremendous combination uh, of hilarity and like freaking out and screaming at the table, sort of um, highs and lows, a bit of a roller coaster ride of fun. And it should be, like I said, this should be, you should feel like at times like you're Captain Jack Sparrow and and other times you should feel like, you know, Ripley from Alien. Like it, you know, there's yeah. definitely this sort of... Uh, there's a lot of tropes they can pull from. But in terms of creating that horror effect as well, if you want a, more information on that, I would recommend Van Richten's. Yeah, it's more got a whole... Spelljammer, right? It does. It's got a great section on, on cosmic, cosmic horror. horror and what makes great cosmic horror. Mm. And this is sort of, I guess, what I'm trying to point out in this episode is that within the D&D resources we have, there is so much stuff, so much stuff, great stuff. But it does require you as a DM to up your game and start to really think which books, which stuff from which books can I use? Where's this, where's something that I, I, I like and interesting? You know, how do I tie, you know, something fishy and weird like Lokothan Rising? Uh, how do I adapt that into something Lovecraftian? Yeah. Um, not that hard. Uh, just require a little bit of like, where am I going to put this in, in my, you know, in my sandbox? Mm. Um lots of good stuff uh that to take from i'm even you know i'm actually looking forward to some of the new heist things coming out as well i think that might make for some fun stuff i've i've added some little corporate uh espionage stuff into this one some also some noble houses that are involved so the, the idea mike with my nebula of madness is that the way that they've the rules are set up now is that the astral sea is a breathable space that goes on and on and connects all the different wild spaces together. Wild spaces are like we would think of space a little bit more, a pocket of airless, gravity-free, low-gravity sort of space um, that uh, if you find yourself floating around in, you will die. Um, so you need to be mm -hmm. on a ship or something that's got its own air envelope around it. Um, these, air en these, these wild space things tend to cling around things of, of, of mass in the material plane. So mm. the Nebula of Madness, the idea is that there's this area of wild space that's huge, that isn't just one system, but actually loads of different systems connected by, um, by gas and asteroid fields and all sorts of things that mean that there is no real astral sea very you know within the nebula itself it surrounds the outside of the nebula but the adventures typically all take place within this very large wild space uh, and the fact it's so big in some parts of the nebula there's little pockets of uh, astral sea within the middle of the nebula that the you know party may stumble across to be able to replenish air supplies and things like that and mm. um yeah find little pockets little enclaves of astral elves living in these spaces somehow Mm. on board little like floating like houseboat things in the middle of the astral sea yeah i mean there's a lot you can do with this that again the, the air interesting the gravity thing those are the things that stood out to me right yeah but i mean the ships were cool as well but um 
yeah we I, need I more ships eventually it needs more ship to ship it, i feel like it needs stuff. a little bit more but and but there is the good news is that there is dm's guild provides others you know people have written stuff if you're not one to come up for rules on your own uh there's stuff you can definitely buy borrow from uh modify bolt on adapt however you want remember when you are doing things like this ultimately you want to keep it the system simple and easy to play something that gives people choices actions they can do on their turn that don't require a lot of complex charts and tables and things to roll from that that keeps things moving uh and gives people something meaningful to do mm. yeah i mean sometimes i think about like oh what if van richten's we it was the same kind of thing where it was like oh you want to do other kinds of madness or create worlds where we, there's stuff on dm's guild you can do instead if this is not enough and i'm just like hmm. I mean, DM, I, don't get me wrong. I love DM's Guild as a resource, but I'm like, should people out there rely on DM's Guild if it releases, you know? But well, maybe I mean, I'm just being I mean, cynical. Wizards of the Coast themselves put stuff up. There was a supplement um, for Witchlight where we got the, the stuff that helps you build, you know, Domains of Delight. It's an official book. It just doesn't sit on D&D Beyond, which is weird, but whatever. Um you know, there's there is some strange things like anomalous things within you know the organization that is D and D. I can't quite explain why they are always doing the way they're doing, um, but yeah, look, the resources are all there, and you can draw from them however you want to draw from them. Put them together, make it make something cool. I'm I'm super excited about all the things that and. Bolt, I'm bolting together and, and even today like you say oh there's a good piece in everyone here something I'm like oh I could go look that up and find that and incorporate that into my backgrounds for all the characters and you know and yeah it is there is a lot of world building stuff that I'm doing um, but I love world building so I'm okay with the work that I'm doing at this point building the the you know the foundation for this campaign setting I'm, I'm okay with all this stuff mm-hmm yeah, I mean, is there any other, like, big highlights from the book that you want to point out um, that you were, like, drawn to? Like, maybe a specific race or a... Well, I have actually one thing with the Hadozi. I don't know if they'll fix this, but it feels like... Oh, a yeah. Bit of Hadozi's got a... Hadozi wasn't really so hugely well the Hadozi are, are kind of like a bit of like a Simeon-style um, humanoid. You don't have to go with the artwork the way it is, just like anything in D&D. Sometimes the first drawings of something... Well, and these aren't the first. I mean, they've just, they've pulled this, but they, these the drawings that they're here now aren't actually Spelljammer. They're from something else. But anyways. What do you mean? Um, I think they're cool. I think they look pretty hadozy to me. Anyways, I've got some better drawings of like more, even more gorilla size, like beefier mm. ones that have got sort of wing flaps. I like how they've kind don't... of made them a little bit chimpy or prime, more primate Yeah, but I just don't like how droop, like they, all their stuff looks like it is droopy cloaks droopy. around them. I don't think it has to look like that. I think like anything in D&D, we've been able to um, reskin so many of our sort of favorite races into things that look better. And by all means, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's terrible art, but I'm not as big a fan of it as I am of some of the older drawings that are floating around out on the interwebs. But um Mm. I mean, the art in this book, I will say, is beautiful. But the thing I love about the Hadozi is their glide. Well, I don't know if I love it, but I think it's funny. Um, the way it's currently written is that as a player, you well, you have a, essentially a glide feature from your kind of these, a bit like a flying squirrel style 
little pockets of of skin that kind of are aerodynamic that can you know let you kind of sail and fly around um which is a fun concept and hanozi had been around since Spelljammer from second edition and you know way back so there's a lot of there's some history to them um but the way that glide is written in the current fifth edition is that um they can move five feet horizontally for every one foot they descend in the air at no cost of movement which essentially means it, it doesn't say from whatever height so you could jump three feet in the air which i believe is the average for yeah. strength uh 14 strength 14 16 16 i don't know because 16 it's, it's, well, what, it's, uh, what's it's one 10? foot it's one foot up for each modifier but then how does that point well what if i have 10 strength does it mean i can't jump that doesn't make any sense or is it one plus hang on i i actually have funnily it you ask all the rules in front of me very good well as he's checking the specifics you can jump in the air and even if you just jump three feet in the air let's say you can move five feet horizontally for every one foot you descend yeah and so if you descend three foot just by jumping that only and then the jumping still costs you movement costs you three feet feet to jump up like that and then you move 15 feet for free which means why would you ever walk around if you can just jump and fly 15 feet around every time right i mean we imagine someone going horizontal for this but why not why couldn't they stay vertical and glide it doesn't say i need to go horizontal uh, it just says i move horizontally um for every one foot i descend and no cost of movement so theoretically if you had a, a movement speed of 30 feet and you could jump three feet each time then you could jump 10 times and move 15 feet per jump so 150 foot movement speed which is pretty crazy, yeah. I feel. So when you make a high jump, you leap into the air a number of feet equal to three plus your strength modifier. Yeah. So even base strength if is three. If you move at least 10 feet forward, right? Oh, I see. When you right. make a standing high jump, uh, it changes a little bit. Um, you can jump only half that distance, right? So your minimum jump will always be one and a half feet, right? Right. Um, but so in order to get us up to three feet, which is sort of a nice even round number, it works out kind of the same otherwise, but you have to hop around a lot more. Um, three feet up requires, uh, strength 16, three plus three. So divide that two would give you three. So, but that's still cool though, right? 10 times you jump straight up and then glide 15 feet forward. Mm -hmm. And so that's 150 feet of movement, but you do have to touch down on the ground 10 times. Right, so it's not like you can fly across 150 feet of open space with that. You can still only clear 15 feet. In fact, you could clear more with a running jump. Like if you really had to, you can run. Well, if you want to clear 150 feet of space, you climb up 30 feet is what you do, which you have a climbing speed equal to your walking yeah, if speed. If you so have you a climbing space to go across, and then you can fly 150 feet uninterrupted, yeah. inst in on that same turn. Yeah, which is ridiculous. It's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Any jumping challenge is immediately... You could climb up on top of someone, jump off of them, and move 30 feet. Yeah. It cr that's Which is great if you're gaps. jumping from the mast of your ship across to the deck of another spell jamming ship. It, it is a ridiculous amount of potential movement in the air, which is why I feel like maybe it wasn't fully considered, um, but it's a fun little detail that makes me want to play a Hidozi just to, to mess around with that um, concept. But yeah, what I was mentioning earlier, uh, the Hadozi picture that we have now is actually taken from um, Star Frontiers. Which is? It was another RPG game from back in the day. So they just acquired the art? Um, obviously, those of you on 
you know who are listening to us won't be able to see pictures but if you go out there and google star frontiers you'll get the old cover art well from they're not it. quite the same um but the droopy sort of arm wing things definitely are a star frontier thing which know, actually tsr always... i think owned didn't it but they've always I had think. the glide thing even back in old cell jammer no yes yeah, so star frontiers was tsr space fantasy setting game uh back in the 80s uh, came with the Alpha Dawn set. Uh, playable races were human, Vrusk, Yazarian, and Drasolites. The Yazarians were the ones with the wing flaps. Um, the Drasolites were the plasmoid. And so it does sort of feel like um, those things were kind of brought sort of from that setting um, and into this one, just fine. Uh, and I think Three Crean came from another place as well. well Three Crean already exists as monsters beforehand. Uh, but I think they were sort of like, weren't they like a dark sun sort of uh, creature of some sort? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think they might have been dark sun before. And that's fine. Like, I, I don't, I am all for um, taking cool, interesting stuff from the the deep past of D&D. I mean, that's why this father-son podcast exists. I have this sort of love of the old things. And then with you, I've been, you know, adopting the new stuff and, and falling in love with it as well. And I, I think the best of D&D today brings the past into the modern times, updates it, recombines it, blends it in. Um, I think it's how we, we bring the culture forward. It's great. I love it. Uh, mm. I love every bit of it. Uh, but, and ultimately the the one guiding rule behind D still remains the true it is your game it is your table you can adapt and change and modify stuff however you want to do so to make it cool and fit for you know the game that you're playing mm -hmm. yeah but so. also that you know it being realistic not everyone has the time or or availability to push it to push the limits of what their table can look like maybe they're they just need a place where they can follow some rules, right? And that's, I think, where the discussion becomes a little bit more nuanced. And that rule is, is important, ultimately very true. Yeah. But it's, you know, sometimes we forget how lucky we are, you know, to have the time to talk about, just talk about it or, or make our own rules or things and like to that. to be surrounded by so many friends at play. Who, and, you know, and talk about it and are interested in yeah. it like we are. And um, and so I think that's important to, to recognize. In, in yeah, I, I agree. Right? I agree. And so if if... If you were new to D&D &D and Spelljammer was the first thing that you picked up, you wouldn't, I think, just from from what they've given you there, have enough to know how to play. No. I think you need to start elsewhere and work your way through a bunch of stuff to get to a point with Spelljammer that it's super fun and exciting. Um, I think it could be, a, maybe it could be a little mini adventure, but I don't know. It feels, um, I don't know, maybe you could. Maybe you could just draw from just the new little races they've given you existing classes and subclasses that are out there and you just follow some of the you know stuff that chris perkins wrote and you'll be fine you know rolling some random tables for some of the new things you bump into in space mm. you can have you could easily have a fun night at a table with that mm. you know little mini series of a few adventures together i can yeah. see it happening um but if you really want to take if you really really want to take the training wheels off spelljammer it works best when you just jam the hell out of it with like everything. Maybe that's where the word jam comes from it. You just got to jam all of the other parts of D and D into it. Really <laughs> right. make it work. Yeah, maybe. Um, and that is, is mostly what Spelljammer has to offer. I feel. I agree. Um, so 
with that in mind, thank you for joining us. We and will be playing Spelljammer. We will be. And we're enjoying um, it. And, and enjoying it. And and yeah. yeah, exactly. This, if, if, if you've stuck around all this way and you, you know, thank you for not giving up on us for being spicy in the beginning. Um, I just want to make sure that it's clear that I, I love this setting and I can't wait to play the setting. And I know there's a lot of sort of, even people I want to play with who are sort of on the fence about this. I am certain there'll be con- converts once they get into actually getting to play it. Yeah. I think it's going to be huge fun. Huge, and I think that's fun. why there's a lot of passionate response about the current book is because maybe some people feel like it's it's not delivering to what they expect. Yeah, right. There's but a few. There's a there was maybe a few expectations that weren't met, and that's all right. Things things happen sometimes. I think it's just important to acknowledge that you know, as is in the community and um, other things to acknowledge is that one D and D also has some people divided. I think that's something maybe we can touch on next episode. Yeah. Yeah, is, is the future. Of I D&D. think we'll be talking about that the future of D and D for the for next while. year, yeah. <laughs> um, for the rest of time, for as long as this podcast is probably going to get going. Mm. Um, yeah, look, you know, we're ten years into this system almost now. Yeah, and and by the sounds of of it, the system's not really going away. If anything, it's evolving. A lot of the things that we've said are, you know, the community has said are broken getting fixed and i think that's important uh it sounds like you know a, a responsive um responsible uh you know development from the people at D. yeah all right folks thank you for joining us for another episode of like dragon like sun uh and uh yeah may uh may all your adventures in the astral sea um Again, full of space. Yeah, and, and avoid being, you know, attacked by natural That's the best part. <laughs> All right, folks. See ya.